0: Y'all can have a seat. As you do, let me wish you again a happy Palm Sunday. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan. I am blessed to serve. You can clap for Palm Sunday again. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) I gotta say, my name is Ryan. I'm blessed to serve this incredible family as the lead pastor. And today, I have the great joy of kicking off our special uh, three-week Easter-focused sermon series that we are calling Three Days and Denials. Over the next three weeks, we're going to spend time, actually in each of the Gospels, reflecting on the three days that changed the world forever. Those three days in which Jesus was crucified, was buried, and rose from the grave. And we're not just going to reflect on these as historical events that they are, but we're actually going to dive deeper into God's Word to understand their purpose and how they impact us even still today, here and now. And the way we're going to do that, actually, is by looking at the story and the perspective of Peter, one of Jesus' most trusted, most beloved disciples. Some of you probably already gathered that by the fact that the word denials is in the series title, and Peter is the one who famously denied Jesus three times. But that's not the only reason why we've chosen Peter's perspective for this series. The reason why we wanted to tell this Easter story from the perspective of Peter is because ultimately we all are just like him. We are all flawed like him. We have all stumbled and fallen like him and we all hopefully long to be restored just like him perhaps that's why so many of us are so drawn to peter right because we see a little bit of ourselves in his story as i was reflecting on this fact of why i'm so drawn to peter i was drawn back to actually when i was in college i was blessed to be able to study for a semester in italy and be jealous of me it's and I got to visit Rome on a number of occasions. And if you've ever been to Rome, you know that it's home to some of the world's most famous pieces of art. You can go all around that city and you see it everywhere. Literally, just on the street corners in some places. But I remember when I'd visit there, each time I would go, I would kind of be drawn to this one specific piece of artwork. It was a statue of Peter in St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. And the statue on its own really isn't anything to write home about. It's kind of just pretty normal. But what I was so drawn to was Peter's right foot. We've got a picture of it, yeah. As you can see in the picture behind me, his foot almost looked deformed, doesn't it? But as I watch, I see people go, and I see them, them touch it with their hand. I see them, them actually kiss it with their mouths. And I realized that foot wasn't deformed. That foot, over the last 800 years, has been worn down. Millions upon millions of people coming to touch that foot, to, to kiss that foot. And as I thought about it, this isn't just a superstition. Yeah, sure, that's part of it. But I truly believe that people wanted to touch Peter because they see him as they see themselves. They see him as a real person who followed Jesus. Again, who stumbled and fell just like we do. I think one of the reasons we're so drawn to Peter is because there are so many stories and characters in the Bible that can be kind of hard to relate to if we're being honest with ourselves. Right? None of us have built an ark. I think Jay Mullen's gotten close, but none of us have built an ark. None of us have led a million people across the desert. None of us have killed a giant. None of us have ruled over a nation. But each and every one of us knows what it's like to be a work in progress, don't we? Maybe that's why we're so drawn to Peter. Maybe that's why there's more written about Peter than any other disciple. Maybe that's why Jesus talked to Peter more than anybody else. Ultimately, we are all just like Peter. And there's good news in that, family, because what we see in the story of Peter's denial and his restoration is the impact of Christ's death and resurrection in one person's life. And since we are just like him, we can find hope in that because we've been promised that same restoration. Nobody fell as far as Peter did. So if you're here this morning saying, I am far from Jesus, man, let Peter be an example to you. It doesn't matter if you've slowly drifted from him or if you even denied him. What this story shows us is that it was ultimately Jesus who remained faithful to Peter. And it's Jesus who will remain faithful to you. So my prayer for this morning and for this series is that you wouldn't just see some of yourself in Peter's story, but that you would come to find Jesus in your own story. That you'd come to experience his healing work in your own life. In fact, let's go ahead and bow our heads, bring that prayer before the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you. And we thank you for your faithfulness to hear our prayers thank you for your generosity lord to give us more than we could ever deserve i ask lord that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit that we might come to know you more to love you more and glorify you with all that we have i ask these things in the name of your son jesus amen well like i said we're going to spend time in each of the gospels throughout this series but this morning our focus passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 26, so if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, you all know how we do this, you can go and get those out. And as you do, I want to take just a minute to talk about this disciple, Peter. Because the Peter that you and I have come to know as the leader of the early church was not always that Peter. In fact, he wasn't Peter at all, he was actually born Simon, and he was a fisherman by trade. That is until Jesus came around and not, didn't just change his profession or his name, he actually changed his very life. Listen, I know some of you who were maybe raised in the church or been around a while, like, okay, I know this story. Pastor Ryan, tell me when you get to, you know, the scripture passage. But stay with me here, because again, I think you're going to see some of your own story in the life of Peter. Like the way his journey of following Jesus started. Started the same way yours did, with an invitation, right? Jesus invited Simon to follow him, and gave him that promise that he would make him a fisher of men. And we know now that Simon accepted that invitation, and he went and he followed Jesus. And for three years, Simon, or Peter, had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. He witnessed unbelievable miracles. He sat under his teaching and became one of Jesus' most loyal and devoted disciples. In fact, we read in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus identifies Peter as the rock on which his church would be built. That's where he actually gets that name Peter from because the Greek word for rock is Petros. But here's the thing I want you all to understand. We tend to elevate Peter, right, because he had this position as a leader in the early church. But despite Peter's role, he was far from perfect. He was a flawed human being. He was that true work in progress. So he was prone to anger. He was prone to doubt. He was prone to selfish ambition. I could keep listening to that list for probably an hour, but we don't have that kind of time. My point is that he may have been chosen to follow Jesus, and he may have declared him to be the Messiah, But if you read through the Gospels, you see in Peter this guy who proclaims one thing with his lips and another with his actions. Not unlike us. Again, we are all like Peter. And so what we're going to see now as we look to chapter 26 in Matthew is that just like us, Peter was prone to wander. Just like the old hymn says, he was prone to leave the God that he loves. But what we need to understand is that Peter's denial wasn't just this one moment wasn't just a moment of weakness that stood in isolation. But rather, Peter's denial was a result of repeatedly giving in to sin and slowly drifting away from Jesus. The denial was really just the fruit. It was just sort of the, the outward display of what had already been going on in Peter's heart. So before we get to Jesus' faithfulness to Peter, I want to take a closer look at the journey that led to Peter denying Jesus in the first place. We're going to pick up that story in chapter 26. So again, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, join me in verse 30. We're going to find Jesus and his disciples having just shared in the Last Supper together. And then Matthew tells us this. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You know, we sing a song here from time to time called King of My Heart. And There's a line that's repeated in that song. Do you guys know what that line is? Don't make me sing it. Y'all want me singing. <laughs> it says, uh, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Right? Well, that's not exactly the message Peter is sending here, is he? He's saying, no, Jesus, I'm never going to let you down. Do you hear the ridiculousness of Peter starting to play in your head? Even after Jesus says, yes, you will, Peter says, no, I won't. In that moment, maybe more than any other, we see that Peter was prone to pride. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to jot that one down, that Peter was prone to pride. And again, if you see yourself in Peter's story, maybe exchange that name Peter for I am. I am prone to pride. Because the reality is this is one of the first temptations we're often faced with in our journey of following Jesus. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. It's exactly what we start to see in Peter's story. Because Peter's arrogance. What it led to was an ignorance of his need for Jesus. Peter's arrogance led to an ignorance of his need for Jesus. His pride had blinded him to the truth of who he really was. Here's what I mean by that. If you would have asked Peter or any of the disciples, right, early in the journey of following Jesus, hey, what are Peter's, like, two best qualities? What would Peter have told you? What did he bring to the table? It was his courage and it was his boldness. Yes, it was often misdirected, but the reality is that Peter would have hung his hat on his willingness to be the first and the loudest and the bravest one by Jesus' side. And yet, family, I want you to notice this. This is the very place where Jesus said Satan would attack. You have to ask yourself why. Well, it's because sometimes the best place for the enemy to attack us isn't in our weakness, but in the areas of strength that we've taken for granted. The areas in life where we let our guard down. Think about it for a second. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've sat across from somebody who has given into sin, and you know what the first thing they tell me is? I never thought I would be the one. I never thought I would be the one to get addicted. I never thought I would be the one to cheat. I never thought I would be the one to fill in the blank. It's in those areas of strength that we have taken for granted where the enemy can sometimes have the best opportunity to attack. Just because you're strong in one area doesn't give you license to be lazy. You must remain on guard against attack, both in areas of weakness and in areas of strength. We have to stay humble. We have to recognize that even our greatest strength is vulnerable without Jesus. See, Peter, he failed where he pledged to be faithful. He was crippled by an attack at the point of his greatest strength. And if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you. So be watchful. Stay humble, because we have an enemy who attacks quickly and unexpectedly, which means that we must also be prepared. That leads to my second point this morning. As we see Jesus' path to the cross, to continue, as it continues, we see not only is Peter prone to pride, but he is also prone to prayerlessness. Look with me at verses 36 through 41. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you notice what Jesus says in verse 41? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in church. Grew up with the flannel grass and all that sort of thing. And I seem to always remember this story as... Jesus asking the disciples to pray for him in that moment of weakness. But it's clear here that Jesus' desire was that they would pray for themselves. Because he knew that prayer was essential in preparing them for the persecution that lied ahead of them. That's why he not only put this on display for them, not only showed them what this looked like, but he actually goes and he wakes them up three separate times. See, Jesus knew that just as our pride can blind us to the truth of who we are, he knew that our prayerlessness could blind us to the dangers that lie around us. In the same way that our pride can blind us to the truth of who we are, prayerlessness blinds us to the dangers that lie around us. See, because when we're not praying, we're not hearing from God. It's kind of like a little kid trying to cross a busy street on his own. That's us when we're not praying. See, we need God's voice to direct us, to guide us. We need him to be the one that guides our steps and alerts us to the dangers that exist all around us. There's a 19th century pastor named E.M. Bounds. Wrote a lot of good things on prayer, but I love this one quote. It's simple. He says this, God works through the prayers of his people, and when they fail him at this point, decline and deadness ensue. Decline and deadness ensue. Now, you don't have to be an old dead theologian to see that. All you have to do is look to Gethsemane. The path to Jesus having victory on the cross began with persevering in prayer. Jesus' path to denial began by him giving in to temptation, falling asleep, neglecting to pray. Of course, decline ensues. Family, I need you to hear this. The spiritual battle is often won or lost before the crisis even comes. The spiritual battle is often won or lost before the crisis even comes. So prepare yourself through prayer. This is why Jesus urges his disciples to pray because he knew that their flesh was weak and we're no different. That's why we must be watchful. We must be alert. The journey towards denial is not as long or as obvious as you might think, family. Don't be that person left saying, I never thought I would be the one. Prepare yourself through prayer. See, for Peter began with that pride, turned quickly into prayerlessness. Slowly he drifted away. Slowly the relationship grew cold, and then seemingly out of nowhere, the attack comes, and he was completely defenseless against it. Prayer is essential. That's why after Peter was restored, many years after Jesus was resurrected, he writes these words in 1 Peter 5 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stay alert. Ultimately, Peter was devoured, at least momentarily, because even in that moment, he remained physically with Jesus, but relationally, spiritually, he was far from Jesus. It's going to be evident as we continue in this story. Look with me at verses 47 through 51. Matthew says that while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. All right, now Matthew doesn't rat out Peter here, but... John does in his gospel. He goes ahead and calls him out by name. And what we're seeing here in in Peter is this shift to a focus on self, right? He's drifted from Jesus. Once you take your focus off of him, you naturally just put it on yourself. And so we see that not only is Peter prone to pride or to prayerlessness, but he was also prone to what I'm gonna call self-salvation. He's prone to self-salvation. That's not to say that he saw himself as the Messiah sent to save the earth, but more that he had an inaccurate view of his role in the story. That's why Peter, who's a fisherman, by the way, takes out a little fishing knife to defend Jesus. Let me just help you understand the ridiculousness of this moment, right? Peter had just seen this guy walk on water, and he thinks that his little dagger is needed in this fight. It's ridiculous. Here's a guy who can calm a storm with a single word, but yet Peter feels the need to step in and help him with a fishing knife? And you could point to his quick temper as why Peter might have done this. You can point to maybe the fear that he was experiencing. You could probably point to a lot of things that would lead to this act of violence. But make no mistake that at the core of his actions lied this belief that maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was. That somewhere for Peter, he thought, maybe this mission that I'm on isn't the one I thought it was going to be. See, Peter's pride and his prayerlessness caused him to drift so far from Jesus that he had lost sight of who he even was. And it leads to him taking matters into his own hands, saying, okay, Jesus, this isn't how I thought it was going to go, so let me just step in. I'm going to take over. I'll take things from here. Again, aren't we all just like Peter? It come as no surprise to us then, right, that as this self-focused posture, it ultimately turns in, To Peter being prone to self-preservation. It's the final thing we see from Peter before he denies Christ, that he was prone to self-preservation. And as we continue in Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus was right, that what he had prophesied did in fact come true, that the sheep did scatter. But Matthew also tells us that Peter follows from a distance, and he follows him all the way to the palace of the high priest Caiaphas. And it was in that palace where Jesus would first be put on trial before the scribes and before the elders. And as Jesus was on trial, somebody was waiting outside. Let's turn our attention to verse 69. Matthew tells us that Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Just a few hours earlier, Peter had said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So what happened? Well, his pride and his prayerlessness caused him to take his eyes off of Jesus and to place them on himself. So when Peter was face to face With the cost of following Jesus, it proved to be a price he was not willing to pay. He was not ready to deny himself as Jesus had already said would be necessary, so instead he chose to deny Jesus. But family, I want to point you to something that's missing from Matthew's gospel. There's an important little detail that Luke shows us in his telling of this story. So let's look to the parallel verse in Luke, it's chapter twenty-two, verse sixty one, it says that after Peter had denied Jesus for the third time, that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And it was then that Peter remembered. Jesus responds by turning toward Peter with a look. What kind of look? Well, that's the million dollar question. We don't know. Because all we have recorded here is Peter's response. But it's clear this look must have pierced Peter's soul. This couldn't have been the look of I told you so because Jesus doesn't gloat over sin. He grieves over it. This couldn't have been the look of how could you because Jesus knew well in advance that this was already going to happen. This was a look of compassion. This was a look of mercy. A look that simultaneously communicated the heartache of being denied with his compassion and his patience and his love for the one who denied him. As Peter looks upon the face of Jesus, covered in spit, battered by the hands of men, as he dealt with the weight of his sin, as he received that unconditional love, he in all of his sin became so uncomfortable All at once, Peter saw the love that he had rejected, and he couldn't bear to see Jesus look at him with such unconditional love. And so he did the only thing he could do. He turned his face away, and he wept bitterly for all the things, all the drifting that Peter had done. It just took one look from Jesus to bring him back. I don't know about you, but the first time I read those words that Peter went out and whipped bitterly, it feels like defeat, doesn't it? But in the kingdom of God, the acknowledgement of our sins, the acknowledgement of our brokenness is actually the first step towards victory. I want to unpack this for you for just a minute. See, what I believe happened when Jesus looked at Peter is that one look tore away the veil that had hid Peter's sin from himself. That's why all at once he realized the weight of what he had done. That's why his heart was filled with such great sorrow because all it took was this one patient, forgiving look to bring Peter to repent, to turn away from his sin and to mourn the very things that drew him away from his Savior. His pride, his prayerlessness, his self-centeredness, it all hit him like a ton of bricks. In that one moment, Peter was broken. Broken not by his sin, but by the look of his Savior. Do you see the difference? Peter was broken not by his sin, but by the look of his Savior. And the same is true for us. It's not our sins that make us weep. Right? If we were left on our own to sin, we'd probably be okay continuing to do it. What leads us to repentance is when we see what kind of Savior we have sinned against. When we can look into the eyes of Jesus and see what he endured for us When we come face to face with that look of love, that's what causes us to repent. Charles Spurgeon expounded on this once, saying this, There is nothing that brings godly sorrow so sure as a glimpse of Christ's love. Nothing that reveals the love so certainly as the look. You may hammer at a man's heart with law, principle, and moral duty, and all the rest of it. And you may get him to feel that he is a very poor creature, but unless the sunshine of Christ's love shines down upon him, there will be no melting. And if there is no melting, there will be no permanent bettering. What he's saying is that the act of us turning to Jesus is not the first act of repentance. It's the act of Jesus turning to us. That's why I love that Luke calls out that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter. Because even though Peter may have turned his back on his Savior, his Savior never turns his back on him. Jesus turned towards Peter. Because that's what he does. That's who Jesus is. He is faithful, even and especially when we are not. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 54. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. My steadfast love Steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. See, the family the reality is none of this came as a surprise to Jesus. Because when Jesus looked at Peter, he didn't just see Peter in that moment, he saw Peter in his entirety. That means he knew that not only was Peter weak and fearful, but that he was also loyal and loving that this was the same Peter who had left everything behind to follow him, and it was the same Peter who would be the first one to enter into that tomb on Easter morning. And most of all, he knew that this broken man, full of fear and shame, would one day not just count the cost of following Jesus, but he would willingly pay it. Dying his own death on a cross. See, I believe that when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, his eyes weren't just full of compassion or mercy or patience. I believe they were filled with hope. See, Jesus knew there was more to Peter than Peter ever knew. He knew that Peter would come back from this stronger than he was before. And he knew that Peter was going to go on and do exactly what Jesus said he would do. He would be the rock on which Jesus would build his church. So yes, I believe he grieved for Peter in that moment, but I also believe that he knew how this story was going to end. He knew that Peter was going to do far more for the kingdom after he fell than he ever did before. And I wonder, family, I wonder if you've ever thought of your own life this way. That maybe, just maybe, Jesus looks at you with that same compassion, with that same love. And that even in your own moments of failure, as you come face to face with the gravity of your sin, that he still looks at you with hope. Because he knows who you are. He knows who he created you to be, and he knows the things he has prepared for you to do. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how far you are from Jesus. You can still turn today. You can still repent of the sin that you were living in. You can still surrender your life to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've drifted from him, if you've denied him, or if you've turned your back on him because he never turned his back on you. Jesus has always been and will always be faithful. Even though we, like Peter, may be prone to wander, let me be clear, Jesus never wavered. He was resolute in his path to the cross, and he is resolute in his pursuit of you. I want to invite the, the band back up now, and I want to just close by sharing a brief story. It's a story that I read this past week about an old preacher and hymn writer named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson happens to be the gentleman that wrote the song I've been referencing this morning, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And as I read his story this week, I was energized by the fact that this young man, he came to faith uh, as a teenager, and he went on to spend decades in the pastorate, preaching, leading churches, writing great hymns like this one, But I also learned that some of the words he penned in that hymn eventually came true in his own life. That Robinson fell away from the Lord. And for years, decades even, he was spiritually distant from God. But then one day, he finds himself in a stagecoach. And he was sitting across from a young woman he had never met before. With no idea who she was talking to, this young woman starts sharing a little bit of her story. Starts sharing about her love for Jesus and start sharing about the encouragement she received from this now popular hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. As Robinson tells the story, he tried and tried to do whatever he could to get her to change the subject, but he couldn't. In fact, this woman, in all of her boldness, actually started to sing the first few lines of that song. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune thy heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. When she paused to ask Robinson what he thought of this song, here's how he responded to her. He said, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. Very gently she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are ever flowing. Robinson was touched by her words, and he made the decision in that moment to repent. He turned his life back to Jesus. His faith was restored through the ministry of the hymn that he wrote, through the willingness and the witness of this young woman, and most importantly, through the loving and hope-filled pursuit of Jesus. So listen, I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you are drifting whether you are distant or whether you've even denied Jesus. But what I do know is that he has already turned towards you with that look of hope and with a heart that longs to restore you. How will you respond to the look of Jesus? My prayer is that you'd respond like Peter, that you would be broken, that you would repent, that you would turn and eventually run towards him.